Like Family with Brenda Donoghue. In this edition of Like Family, we're talking about global romance, meeting. The dancing was what sold it for me. Dance would be number one for me. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, but when it comes to dancing, I can dance six hours non-stop. Matching. The Polish and the Irish are very similar. You know, in courtship or in, you know, in dating or in general, there's no massive cultural difference. Living. My tag on Twitter is Japanese American expat hyphen GAA mom. And belonging. Don't ask, where are you from? Marino. Yeah, but where are you really from? That question. That gets me every time. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. I travelled to Maynooth University to meet senior lecturer Rebecca Chioko King Oreen. And when I was there, I spotted a family photo. Is this you on your yeah, wedding that, day? That's us, yeah. So this is 25 years ago now. You can tell from the photo. Um, so <laughs> my tell from the yeah, yeah, from the, 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 the look at yeah, look at the look at the hair. Um, yeah. So this is my mother. My mother is Japanese American. She was born and raised in California, and that's her mother who is from uh, Kumamoto on Kyushu, the southernmost island of Japan. Um, but they were living in California at the outbreak of the Second World War. So of course they were imprisoned uh, by the U.S. government because they were ja- simply based on the fact that they were. Japanese. Japanese, 110,000 people. Um, my grandfather was drafted into the American military, so he was actually fighting and defending the country that was imprisoning his wife and two daughters at the time. It was tough. I mean, my mom was raised, so she was small when she came out of camp, and she was raised very much to be 110% American. But I think it's not a surprise that she didn't marry someone who's Japanese-American because there were so few Japanese-American men around. And then also, you know, this whole thing of kind of hyper-assimilation, she wanted to marry somebody who was white. Um, this is my husband. He's from South Dublin. <laughs> if ever you saw an odd one out, he's much taller for yes, a start. No, the, and, I, yeah. the funny thing about this photograph is when we were standing on the stairs, <laughs> he had to stand a step below the rest of us because he's 6'4 and we're all 5 nothing. <laughs> so um, to get us in the, all, the same frame, um, he had to stand a step low, lower than the rest oh, of us because we're all starting. A Sean. Yeah, sure, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so and he's from South Dublin. And we we met in California um, at Berkeley when we were studying to be sociologists. And then we lived there for 10 years and then uh, made the decision. Um, he's he's very um, into the – he's an Irish language speaker, a big hurling fanatic. Um, so he always really wanted to come home. And so when a job opening came up um, – he went for it and we ended up coming back and again all the research and everything you're living it well, yeah I mean that's I, that's I spend my I'm a G, I mean my hashtag my tag on Twitter is Japanese American expat hyphen GAA mom because I spend a lot of my time standing on the sidelines now at, at um, matches when you and Sean came here first yeah okay and I'm looking 15, at this 15, 15 years ago now 15 years ago yeah. and you had a different hairstyle I presume yeah. that's very um <laughs> What would you call it? 1990s. 1990s. It's totally yeah. 1990s, isn't yeah. it? Did you experience people saying, how did you meet? Oh, yeah. How did you get on? Oh, God. Yeah. Story? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, people, people want to know. Will it your... last? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Um, yeah. No, no. people ask me that all the time. I mean, you know, that's where, you know, it was in my first visit that somebody said to me, you didn't get that tan in this country. And I knew that I was, I was like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, you know, that I'm not in Kansas anymore, right? So Rebecca is the perfect person to ask how common is this kind of international relationship 
this kind of global romance. Okay. Um, so I think the thing to keep in mind is that um, most marriages in Ireland still are, um, you know, white Irish people marrying white Irish people. 95% of white Irish people are married to other white Irish people. So this is a small group of people that we're talking about. But the thing that's interesting is it started to really grow over time. Um, so if we look at, um, for example, 2006 census data, we see that more, in more than one quarter of young couples, those with a mean age of 30 years or less, so younger people, at least one partner was of non-Irish Irish nationality or non-white ethnicity. Um, we also know from the Growing Up in Ireland database um, in 2011 that we clearly see, particularly with younger couples, an increase in intercultural marriage among Irish-born natives. So 17.4% of parents in the Growing Up in Ireland data were mixed couple and mixed couples. And the thing I think is interesting about that is that it was actually more than non-Irish, non-Irish, or immigrant, immigrant couples. But but international couples are more likely to be married often because the the their, the non-Irish spouse might need a visa or um, immigration papers, basically. Um, and it, there's also um, kind of stats on who they marry, right? So um, Irish-born men who marry non-Irish-born women tend to marry people from the UK, the US, Central Europe, and Eastern Europe. Irish-born women who marry non-Irish-born men uh, also marry people from the UK, the US, Central Europe, but interestingly, Africa. Some Irish global families have agreed to meet me and tell me their stories. First up, Ratoth, County Meath, and my new friend Theo. What age are you? Three and a half. You're really dressed up for me today. What have you got on you? Ireland. You have an Ireland scarf. And is this a rugby jersey for Ireland? Yes. Do you like the rugby? Come on, Ireland! 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 I'm Nigerian first. My wife, she's Irish first. And together, we have a Nigerian Irish. <laughs> but if you ask my wife, it's going to be an Irish. Irish, Irish Nigerian. Nigerian. And my son, the same thing, will tell you where you're from. You say, I'm Irish. I'm Nigerian. So sometimes we do communicate to him in Nigeria. He has some few words in Nigeria. What's uh, I love you in Nigeria? I've been at Jay from day one to start talking to him in his language. So he has some words that we use um, and he knows his family. He has pictures all up over his wall of all his family in Nigeria. Um, we haven't traveled there yet with with Theo, but I suppose, yeah, you've walked in today now to a very Irish looking house with the flag up and, and his jersey um, because of the rugby match. But generally, we, we do have a lot of African um, memorabilia around and... And he has his own African clothes as well that we wear sometimes when we go to church, especially Thanksgiving, first Sunday of the month. So how did Theo's parents, Shay and Heather, first meet? Um, I was 18, out dancing one night with a group of friends and obviously my dancing skills caught his eye and (laughs) came over and tried his luck. So 
we had a bit of a dance and then, you know, a few days later, you know, a couple of dates and just took off from there. Um, from Lagos. Yes. The, the old capital, mm. Lagos, Nigeria. So as I said, I was only here a few months and we liked going out at the weekend. I caught my lovely wife, Heather. I was with my friends and, I was, and we were looking. And we had this challenge to say, okay, let's see who can actually dance yeah. better. And that's how we started. And I went round and I stuck with her. And from that day till date, we are still stuck together. Like, honestly, the dancing was what sold it for me. Um, he's, yeah, he was great. We're, see, we're a musical family, big into music and dancing. So I would just be on the dance floor for four hours dancing, you know. And um, so someone who felt the same way definitely caught my attention. Dance would be number one for me. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke. But when it comes to dancing, I can dance six hours nonstop. And that was the selling point. We danced and everybody was just looking saying, wow, wow, until the end of the night. So it was great. And 20 years on, is he still the greatest dancer? Um, second greatest after me, of course, but he tries. No, he is. He's the greatest dancer and we, um, we pass it on to Theo. We have dancing moments in our kitchen all the time. Oh, fantastic. Let's go back 20 years. The teenagers were deeply in love. But visa-wise, it was time for Shay to return to Nigeria. Due to circumstances, we were faced with having to split and Shay possibly having to return home. Uh, I wasn't ready to take that step yet, to go to Nigeria or anything or leave my family. And um, So, yeah, we decided that we made the move then to marry. Um, so the proposal came from me. Um, I wasn't ready to... Let him go, and I knew I knew what it would take to have him here, and I knew that I loved him, and I didn't want him to go. And at the time, Nigeria was a lifetime away because there wasn't mobiles, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't you know cheap flights out there. I knew that once he went, that was it, that was gone. We would have been out of each other's lives forever. So um, he, yeah, he accepted my proposal, and you know we made a decision not to tell my family. Shay wasn't happy about that because, you know, he just felt we, we were, what we were doing wasn't wrong. Um, but I had, I had the understanding of Ireland and how it would have viewed that situation. So I made the choice. Can you remember her proposing to you? I'm trying to remember. I think when Mulinga. Yeah, yeah, I remember all right because <laughs> we were in a friend's house in Mulingar and we were waiting to go out and Shay um, had gotten a call card to phone home to kind of let them know that, you know, he was faced with having to come home soon. And um, we hadn't really had many conversations about it. I think Shay didn't want to bring up what the options were for him to say and put, feel like he was putting pressure on me or anything. Um, but he was out in the hallway making the phone call home um, to his parents. And I was in having a chat with a friend about the reality of it and what I could do and what I you know, um, what our options were. And she just said, why not? And uh, I went out in th into the hallway and asked him to hang up uh, his phone call. And yeah, I just said it to him. I said, well, I said to him, if you ask me nicely, I might say yes. And he he was confused. He didn't know, you know, what was going on because um, we, we hadn't really discussed the option of marriage. Yeah, yeah, true. Those are the, the what she said. Uh, if you ask me nicely and I was like what do you mean ask you nicely and she said it again I said yes and I remember that night 
the following morning, I went to the registry, what do you call it, uh, registry office in town to pick the application and fill the form. And away we go for three months waiting. The teens married in secret, eventually moving in together. But Shay felt he'd some unfinished business. I came downstairs and he had a little box and on the front of it it had It's About Time. And I lost a watch around a year before that and I just hadn't gotten around to buying one. And I said, oh, here we are. He's bought me a watch. Great. Because it wasn't a birthday. It wasn't an anniversary. It wasn't anything. And as I was unravelling this big box, I realised the boxes were getting smaller, too small for a, a watch. And as I got to the last one then, he got down on his knee beside me and proposed. So tears, of course, flowing and um, great excitement. And we went up straight away and told my sister. My other sister was living in the UK at the time. Heather still had not told her family that she and Shay were already married. I suppose after a day or two, I realised I wasn't fully experiencing the excitement of it because I hadn't told my family still at that stage. My fear was that they would be angry at me um, for keeping this from them. And um, I suppose as as I stood there in my late 20s, I still felt like I was 18 telling them because that's the time it brought me back to. Um, so the relief when we finally decided to tell them because we, we I had gone through the option of doing the ceremony, you know, and not telling them and how we would do it. Um, even though we were married, you know, legally before how the ceremony would be. Like, I'd gone through all that in my head and it just wasn't settling and I wasn't enjoying what was meant to be one of the best moments of my life, you know, an engagement and preparing for a wedding. So it was, yeah, we decided to tell my family and it was the best decision, really. Because you've gone through so much in a way that as a couple, has that made you very strong? We just did what we had to do to to be a couple and stay together. I never felt hard done by because I had to fight harder than my friends who had Irish boyfriends. I never compared. We never, we just did what we had to do because of who we were and, you know, enjoyed it for the most part. In 1999, we were young. In 2007, we are much older, sensible, but till date, we are still kicking it and we are still going to kick it till death was apart. Theo's getting tired now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Heather and Shay's global love has stood the test of time. Over in Galway, in Griffin's Bakery, Polish friends Gosha and Bogner are chatting, while Bogner's husband, Jimmy Griffin, tries to tempt me. I suppose there has to be the raspberry scones and coffee and we can add cream on the side and jam if you like. Things were much more straightforward when Gosha met her husband Michael, a former Waterford footballer. I don't know how, how much into details I should go. Oh, loads. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose what we were trying to do when we were spending three months in Ireland, we wanted to see as much as we could with my friend. Um, but of course, we didn't have much money, so the best way to travel for us was to hitchhike. My friend, she used to sit in the front seat because she knew the culture, she knew the slang, she knew what to chat to Irish people, and I was just happily sitting in the back seat. And then one trip, uh, which we travelled to Kinsale, and I remember standing in the roundabout outside of Oramore, and then this car pulls in and uh, with the fellow like, in on the front seat, and my friend, she says to me, why don't you just sit at the front? Like, and I'm just a little bit bored of talking all the time. I said, grand, you know, <laughs> I'll do it. And then I sat beside Michael and we had a 
great chat. Enjoy it. And then the end of it, um, he kind of asked us for the email address. And I said to my friend, Jesus, were we given the real one or what's the story? Like, you know, <laughs> I guess it's only email address. Like, you know, it's safe enough. So we actually, I gave him the email address and we ended up um, exchanging a few emails and then follow up with the date afterwards. Yeah. Everything happened very quickly. And then I won't go too much into detail. But uh, like we were going for a walk in the evening one day and he brought me to outside of Clifton. There's a lovely place when there's a little waterfall in the stream and we stood uh, together and he told me all these lovely things. And uh, he actually put his uh, hand into the pocket and I said, oh my God, my heart just stopped for a moment. And he took out this lovely bar of chocolate. (laughs) I said, oh, Jesus, you know what I was thinking for a while, like, you know, that there's something else going to happen. And then he put his hand in another pocket and he just popped the ring there, you know. <laughs> so he's a master of uh, surprise and, um, yeah, and I said yes. So how did Michael meet his in-laws? When we got engaged, uh, we travelled back to Poland. And uh, so Michael doesn't speak Polish, so all the way uh, during the train travel, uh, I I, try, I was trying to teach him how to say please to meet you in Polish and he was really um, it was so hard for him to actually learn it but eventually he managed to to master that one sentence and uh, but he was very stressed yeah and he said it and that probably charmed my parents and they loved him and um, so they accepted um, I suppose my decision our decision to go to Ireland was and, and was it hard on your family then to think you know, you were going to set up away from home? I think it was because I have only one older sister um, who lives at home. Um, but I suppose it's, it's difficult to see a child travelling, uh, even though it's most common now, uh, everywhere. And I wasn't moving too far away. It's only like a three-hour flight. Bogner, what about you? Well, my mum loves coming to Ireland and she comes on a regular basis. And um, she she speaks English when she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> when she wants to and when she has to. When she doesn't have a choice, she does speak English. Um, my dad um, was here a few times. He passed away a few years ago, but he um, he didn't speak much English, but he was one of these people that, even when he doesn't speak a language, he can communicate quite well with other nationalities. And um, himself and Jimmy actually got on really well, so there was there was no problems there. I actually think that the Polish and the Irish are very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mentality is very similar. So in, you know, in courtship or in, you know, in dating or in general, there's no massive cultural difference. I think we're, we're very similar. I don't know, is it the love yeah. for potatoes or is it love for um, yeah. going out? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know, is it the love yeah. for a drink? But, yeah. uh, you know, or, or a good chat. But, yeah. you know, the sense of humour is very similar. Um, and I think the cultures are similar. So there isn't, you know, there isn't a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Bogna, you were here in Ireland and you met Jimmy. Was there ever an issue where you thought, even though we're getting serious, I don't know if I want to settle down here. You know, was nationality ever an issue? It, it's actually funny because nationality was never an issue with me, probably because I, I finished school in America, so I was away from Poland. I, I, other than my interests and few friends and family, of course, I, I didn't really have links with Poland as much. Well, actually, until I had my daughter, I never thought 
I would even consider of going back to Poland. It's, it's really funny. It would never cross my mind. Um, I, I consider Galway my home. And, um, you know, I'm very well settled, have loads of Irish friends and, uh, and never thought, never <laughs> would even con- consider going back. Uh, but when our daughter arrived, I started noticing that, you know, the way I grew up and things that I did in Poland, there, there are certain things that you cannot do in Ireland. For example? Um, snow. <laughs> well, we did have snow this year, so which, I, snow. which I enjoyed yeah. very much, actually. I love snow. And um, just the freedom of going out to a forest and going for a walk and um, things... I think it's all weather-related, actually, now that I think of it. It is all weather-related. It's just we do get better weather in Poland. Um, so you don't have to bring your children somewhere indoors and pay for it. And It's just, I don't know, there are things that I did as a child. Now, it could be also a generational thing. Children are different these days than we were when we were, when we were kids. In terms of your own children... Uh, how do you think having Polish roots impacts on them? Uh, well, I think it adds, and I, I keep telling my daughter that she will thank me one day for making her go to the Polish school every Saturday and learning Polish and going to Poland. I think it gives them options. You know, you never know what happens in life and where you will end up. And it's just one more option that if she decides to go to university in Poland, she has, you know, it's, it's an opportunity. It's just that extra added bonus. <laughs> well, thankfully, actually, in Ireland at the minute, there's so many families like ours, you know, they're mixed marriages and they're coming from all the different uh, parts of the world. So they don't feel they're different to everybody else. Uh, actually, th- when they go to school, I love the ideas from the teachers in their school that embrace their you know, dual nationalities. Uh, and I was so surprised that one day when we had a, a birthday party, the, the Irish kids, they sang happy birthday in Polish. And that was kind of directed by the teacher in school. And that was fantastic. Um, yeah, and I'm the same as Bogna, you know, just sending kids to Polish school on every Saturday. They rebel, they don't like it. But I think it's up to the parents just to make sure that they gain this second um, skill second language and be just easier for them to learn Irish or any other language in the future and they have it just in front of them free and let's say relatively easy even though it's not easy on the daily basis (laughs) on tap should we say that's it yeah exactly Uh, for them I suppose it's very hard to accept it because they they feel 100% Irish Uh, and because also they're boys they have a great connection with their father and I suppose that kind of passing on the culture be- between the father and the sons, it's, it's much stronger uh, than me talking about Polish um, traditions, you know, like painting eggs for Easter or whatever it might be. If Gosh's children consider themselves 100% Irish, is she still 100% Polish? I actually don't consider myself 100% Polish now. I call myself plastic Polish because of the time... <laughs> really, because of the time spent in Ireland... Uh, is nearly like more important than I was growing up in Poland. Uh, you know, all my professional life uh, happened here, and my fa- I settled here and have my family. Uh, so I suppose by living in a different country, it just influences you and changes all of us. I suppose, and um, together with our family, because I suppose we are different, a mixture of two different cultures. 
and we built our own traditions, but with the Polish and Irish twist. Um, and when you look, think about Sophia, I mean, when she's 18, 19, do you think she still have that Polish side very strongly? You know, it's actually very funny. I don't know where we got Sophia out of, but she is the most traditional Irish conservative person ever. She loves Galway. Um, my idea was that after she finishes primary school to maybe take her away for a year, um, somewhere nice, expose her to different cultures. No. She wants to go to an Irish-speaking secondary school in Galway and she is not moving. No way. <laughs> I wish I had you as a mommy. That sounds amazing. Tell <laughs> me about it. I thought it was a great plan. No. And gosh, you had three boys, all young. When you look ahead to 10 years and maybe themselves, how strong do you think the Polish influence will be on them? Uh, when we talk about what's going to happen in 10 years' time, I see my eldest son moving to Waterford, would you believe, because he is actually a Waterford man in Galway, even though he was born in Galway. But it's such a strong influence, and the fact that the, lots of cousins and family lives in Waterford. So will they value their Polish roots at all? I think when they, go, when they grow older, I think they will value it up to some point. But then I was thinking, what if they get married to some other nationality? Yeah. And then the mixture it just becomes more complicated. And as I said, it's, I think girls have a more urge to pass on their culture. So if they marry to somebody from, I don't know, Indonesia or <laughs> no matter which country, I think they might just lose out on this Polish. Say they marry the girl from Indonesia and they go and they live there. <laughs> now you know what you're <laughs> I think it's part of life. I don't expect my boys to live in Ireland uh, when they grow up, and they have all the options. You know, it's the life belong, belongs to them, and they can do so many things. And I think what we're doing now by having this mixed. Um, family, culture and exposure to different things, we're preparing them for that. And we can expect them to stay in Ireland and be happy with it. I'd be happy for them to go and explore. They seem to fit in so well that these families are more Irish than the Irish themselves. But then I thought of asking another question. Irish emigrants used to toast good health, long life and death in Ireland. Lovely. What's your take on that, Bogna? Well, I do want to be funny enough buried in Poland. 1st of November in Poland, it's a big big thing. It's All Saints Day and everyone goes to their family graves and they light candles and they put flowers and it's a real family thing. And I introduced that to my daughter and she loves it too. But So I've been trying every year, I've been trying to go back for the 1st of November and even now my daughter wants to be buried in Poland too. And I want to be buried in Poland. And, that, and that's my biggest worry at the moment is, if I die, who is going to look after the graves in Poland? <laughs> but now even Jimmy wants to share my dad's grave in Poland. So I definitely passed that so you're, on. You're, you're pulling him back to Poland. Yeah. Jimmy, that's a lot. To be buried. To be buried. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I, might, I may end my days in Poland. Uh, yeah, the future isn't clear on it yet. Yeah. So Bogna is almost perfectly at home in Galway. In Dublin, I meet Faisal and Mary. He's South African and she's Irish and they are married 40 years this year. But feeling fully at home in Ireland has been more difficult for them and their adult children. They are devout Muslims 
and have invited me for dinner. Hello, Hello. Mary, how, how are, are you? you? Thank you for having me. Goodness, Goodness no, what a there, feast. There's nothing more important. Yeah. And having our family at least, everyone at least here once or twice a week is the, the best thing that anyone could wish for as parents, you know. I love having my family around. I'm following Faisal and Mary around the kitchen as Faisal explains that home for him was South Africa under apartheid. Uh, even though we were not black, uh, but we were classed as non-white. We didn't have the opportunities in the, to go to university there. We finished our matric, South African matric, and my dad, because he could afford it, he sent me over to study in Ireland. And can I just be clear, you yeah. couldn't study third we level in South Africa because we you were classed as non-white? Non-white, yeah. They had 5% of the seats in the university for non-whites and 95% for the whites. So for those of us who could get out and study abroad, we came when I came over, I suppose I, I, um, I was very wary of white people, all white people. In fact, I disliked because of the things that we went through in South Africa, living under the white government. But when I came over here, I, um, I saw it wasn't that, the, the, what, 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 the perception I had of it. And I, I liked it. Okay, Mary, will you, will you stir those potatoes, please? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm hogging them here, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> you're corn them. Will you just move over there a little bit? Okay, we'll <laughs> stand over here then. Faisal met Mary, and it was love at first sight, but he was called home. Dad asked me to come over because my mum wasn't well, and I think he was very suspicious because I think he knew that I had uh, met Mary. And he, he told me, uh, he said, you're going to get married to a white woman? I said, yes. <laughs> So he said, uh, don't you know it's not the right thing to do? You know, we, even though we lived under apartheid, we also became very racist in certain ways. We didn't want to mix with blacks. We didn't want to mix with whites. We just wanted to mix with our own people. And that's what apartheid does to you. It teaches you that oh, you should only live with the people uh, who are like you. So I kept telling him that, I met this girl and I wanted to get married to her. And he kept telling me no, you know. And uh, so he wouldn't pay me my wages every month, <laughs> so I couldn't get out of the country. But eventually a cousin of mine bought me a ticket on the quiet. And my dad did say, if he ever found out who bought the ticket for me, <laughs> he would throttle him. But uh, eventually I came back and uh, we, got, we got married. Mary, can I, can I get, grab you in here? Keep <coughs> chopping, don't let yeah, me stop no, you. Fine. Mary, I'm thinking of Faisal. Going back to South Africa. And his dad making him run the business, not paying him. I mean, stop my eyes out. What were you doing? I was working at the time. I was um, working in a, a property company in Baggett Street, and um, I was devastated when his father called him back. You know the usual. I was yeah. like, oh my god, you know, I'm never going to come back. And um, he promised he'd come back, and he did. Faisal's father was worried about him marrying a white woman, but how did Mary's family feel about Faisal? My dad was dead because my dad died at 50. So my mother, you know, she didn't mind at all mm. and the rest of the family. I was pleasantly surprised also because yeah. I had, when the first time I went up to a house to meet a family, I was terrified. Mm. I, and uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. But they were very kind to me. They were very good to me. And um, even when we got married, 
I never, in fact, my sister-in-law was here, Jenny was here the other day, and we were talking about it. And I said, Jenny, did you, did, did you ever hear your mom say, and she said, my mom never mentioned your color, she never mentioned your ethnicity, she never mentioned anything, she was totally, she liked you and that was it, you know? We should give your mom a mention, what was her name then? Um, her name was Bridget, but she went by Bridie McGuire. No matter who came in, she'd always made them feel welcome. And rustle up, you know, the bit of food, the food always. They got married in a Catholic church and had a secret wedding at a mosque, as Faisal explains. I felt I had to, to get married in the, in the mosque, um, which we did and on the quiet. And I was terrified of the, of the priest finding out. That's why we had to keep it very quiet. Yeah. Oh, you were terrified of the, the priest? Yeah, if he yeah. ever found out, because he said, he did tell me quite plainly, I would get you out of this country. Faisal, if I was to say to you, where is home? Is it Ireland? Is it South Africa? We went back to South Africa. I think it was just with the elders, with Anissa Mary, isn't it? Mm. We went back after Anissa was born, our eldest daughter. And uh, we went to the Home Affairs at the time and we asked them if uh, we applied for, Mary applied for residency. And they refused it because she was white. And they said we couldn't live in South Africa. So we had to come back, forced to come back. And I always tell her, you know, maybe I'm one of the very few people in, in Ireland here as a foreigner who don't want to be here, who wants to be back in South Africa because I wanted to live there. Then I spoke to Mary and I said, look, give me 10 years in South Africa. After, and she reluctantly agreed. So we went back to South Africa for 10 years. But post-apartheid, it was too late for the whole family to go back to South Africa. The couple's older daughters were already settled in Dublin and their grandchildren were born in Ireland. The only time I saw my grandchildren was on Skype. But when I came back here and I saw them, I said, this is my home now. Before that, I was very restless. Mm. I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know what I was. You hear so many Irish people when they, they go and they live abroad, yeah. Whether, yeah. wherever it is, mm. that there's kind of like a pull yeah. towards home. When you were in South Africa, you had the pull to come back home. Yeah. And when you were living in Ireland, you had the pull to go back to South Africa. Yeah. But yeah. now I don't That's have not great feeling. for a relationship, is no. it? Now I've settled. Yeah. Because, because of the grandchildren and the family... In South Africa, we are half a family. Mm. The other three were here, and it was just Mary and myself and Ahmed and uh, Alia. But when we, when we came back, we were one family now. And to see my grandchildren, mm, I look forward to seeing them, actually. Even if I could see them every day, I'd be happy. You, know? you told me something else, uh, Faisal, can I come back to, about when you felt at home in Ireland? Yes. The crunch came when I supported uh, when Ireland played South Africa uh, in the rugby, in rugby. And um, I was supporting uh, Ireland. And, uh, against the Springboks. Against the Springboks. And my children, Ahmed was here, and he said, Dad, you normally support the, the Springboks. Springbok. I said, I, yes, I always do, but I think it's about time that I, I settle uh, once and for all that I am living here. I have to be loyal to this country now. And I'll start by supporting them in the rugby. And that's what happened. Exactly. And uh, now I know that I am from here. <laughs> their sons and daughter-in-law arrive and I asked their son, Ahmed, have things improved for children of global marriages? To, to be fair, as a child uh, being born and raised here in, and going to a Jewish school, I had uh, Catholic and Jewish friends. And 
I was not once mistreated by the Jewish people or by the Catholics. They they always made me feel welcome. We went to birthday parties together. I used to go to their the, their houses, and there was never an issue that they're a Jew and I'm a Muslim, or they're a Catholic and I'm a Muslim. I knew I was different at the time, but I didn't feel like I had an identity crisis because everyone made me feel welcome. Coming back now after living in South Africa for eight years, uh, that's when I started to experience a bit of different attitudes towards me because I came back in 2012 to finish my studies. That's when I started to realize things have changed here because the country got really diverse over such a short period of time. Um, it was a shocker for me, but also I thought it would be a good thing because now maybe I won't feel like the odd one out now. But in fact, I actually feel more like the odd one out, even though it's grown with diversity, because now whenever I speak to people on the street or meet someone new, it's always the question is, where are you from? And then I say Ireland. And then the next question is, where are you originally from? And then I want to answer the Coombe Hospital, but they're just waiting for me. They're just waiting for me to say another country. And then that kind of clears up their indirect misconception of racism, you know. So I feel like now it's more of a struggle, you know, trying to be Irish and Muslim. This is this is my home and I don't consider anywhere else home. Uh, like where where else are, are we supposed to go and I, I feel like it'll take a, a good while, a good 10, 20 years for this sort of attitude to change. Um, just so the younger generation such a, that may have mixed parents or that may have parents from a different country but that were born here and consider themselves Irish, just so they don't have an identity crisis growing up. Because if people have an identity crisis and they don't feel accepted in the country that they're born in, they may feel like they're outcasts and then they might start rebelling against the system, the country system. And then this could lead to either crime or violence. And I'm not saying it, it's going to happen, but it could because, because of frustrations. And, you know, some people like to be more rebellious than others. So. And so is this racism? Everyone at the table wants to join Ahmed in answering. Oh, you're white. No, well, let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah, that. Let me. That's so that's what I can. I, it's about having this like physical image of what Irishness is and what being Irish is. So it's almost kind of a blatant question, as in you can't be a tan man and Irish. You can't be a brown man and Irish. You can't wear a headscarf and be Irish. Let's say Ahmed and like his sister, who looks more white. I doubt you'd get the question as much as you would, even though your lifestyle and you, everything's basically the yeah. same, right? Or it's just that. Well, yeah. Would. Sorry, Adam is no, it's here. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> if there's, even if they're curious after getting to know each other for, for a while, fine, let them ask. It doesn't bother me in the slightest, you know? Okay, so it's really... It, you wanted to finish what you were saying. Um, well, go. And they were all interrupted. They finished off thing. what I was going to say. Yeah. Go and finish it. <laughs> as, as I was saying, it, it, I feel like it's something that people will never accept a brown man as as an irishman or a black man as an as an irishman it it doesn't fit their their whole construct of how an irishman looks so they need to realize that the society is changing that we are getting uh, mixed race irish couples we're getting mixed race babies and uh, they're going to consider themselves irish uh, yeah that's i guess that's it's all still take time. yeah it's it'll still take take a lot of time but I don't think it's racism. I don't think majority of the people 
uh, races. I think it's more something new, and it's something that they are getting to grips with, and something that we also have to get to grips with. And a bit of understanding maybe might go a long way. So we're looking through the phone, we're looking at... Like all proud grandparents, ah, Basil and Mary want me to see photos of their grandchildren. Oh, that's Sophie. Oh, look at her. <laughs> yeah. She's a... And you see the hair. She's very cheeky, no, yeah. Very, very cheeky, you're right. Yeah. She's very cheeky. <laughs> In a good way. That's her praying. <laughs> ah. Look at her praying. <laughs> She's a very chatty child. She's only two and a half, three years old. But she was chatting to somebody on the bus. And she was sitting beside me. And the lady said, uh, are you minding her? And I said, no, she's my granddaughter. And she said, really? I said, yes, she's my granddaughter. So you'd never think she's my granddaughter. And do you think that is better for her? I still have that in my head. That I'd rather my children be slightly lighter than, every, uh, than they are right now because they stand a better chance in this world. Faisal and Mary's warm welcome made me feel very much at home, but I felt unsettled to hear their mixed-race adult children don't feel fully accepted as being Irish, and they're not alone. And just look to me over this way, and perfect. Ruth Medjber is a free-spirited young photographer who dips into the culture of her Algerian father and Irish mother. Dad came to Ireland 40 years ago, as part of like an apprenticeship programme with Air Algeria and like a contract in exchange with Aer Lingus. Okay. So he was brought here with, I think there was 10 of them um, in 78 um, to study uh, engineering, aircraft engineering. So did aircraft engineering for a while, fell out of it, got into photography um, and then went back to aircraft engineering. Okay. So I'm a photographer. My brother's a trained aircraft engineer. <laughs> So obviously he influenced you in some way. Um, I think it was because when I was really young, Dad used to look after me and I remember being in the car before school and, you know, strapped into the back seat, surrounded by blower brushes and playing with litmus paper and, you know, all of his supplies. And I thought it was fascinating. I really loved it. And he'd bring me to all the camera shops at the time so I got to know I think it's a five year old I got to know John Gunn you know like old school camera shops in Dublin and I loved it I'd sit there in front of the the processing machines looking at everyone else's holiday snaps as they pop through the machine it was brilliant it was really exciting when I was a kid and how long was their initial courtship dad got here 78 and by 83 they were married and have they talked about any issues that they may have had or challenges with your dad being Algerian, your mum being Irish, did her family welcome him with open arms? Did he have to try a little harder? Yeah. What I, was the story? I think, you know, my nana, like, I grew up with my, my nana, my Irish nana, like, she's from Marino, seven kids, mam was the youngest of them. Mm. And while, like, dad and mam, they used to go out with her brothers, my uncles, to, you know, to Stardust and to all the discos and, you know, they'd have the crack. So he was very welcome there. I think my nana might have been a little bit more apprehensive Mm. um, and didn't really approve. My mum always tells the story of how she was sent to Canada for, I think it was like a good few weeks for a holiday so that uh, she might forget about my dad at the start. <laughs> but obviously that didn't work. And I think the more that my nana got to know my dad, 
like my dad was the first one that she'd call to come around and fix the doorbell or to, do you know what I mean, the door's off his hinges, would you come fix the back door, would you come do this? And my dad was reliable and he kept coming back and fixing everything. And she loved him at the end of it, do you know what I mean? Mm. Really don't, like really did. I think that was it. I think it was just a whole different time that if you saw someone dark, it was so different and kind of people are afraid of what they don't know. And that was it, but she did, she got to know Got to love him. Your dad obviously had to give up that day-to-day connection with his own family in Algeria. Was that ever an issue? When you look at what Algeria went through then and the years after that he left, I definitely think he made the right decision and he feels like he made the right decision. And now he considers Ireland to be his home, um, thankfully. But I know it is tough for him. You know, when his parents died um, and... You know, over there, the funerals happen so quickly and you you can't make it in time. You know, it's very hard to get over to Algeria within 24 hours. So when that kind of stuff happens and you you are so far from home, I think he did feel it. You know, he did. And I think they're the times that he missed being able and he missed that connection. Where are we going into? What We're going into one of the greenhouses. Beautiful in here. Oh, this one is the one with the waterfall. So that's what you're hearing now. Okay, and the smell is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's fabulous. So this all changes different times of the year. So it's it's nice to um, to revisit it as often as you can. Like, yeah. Have you pictured your mum and dad and their wedding? I do. Tell me what it is. So this is, yes, isn't it gorgeous? Are they gorgeous? Their wedding photo night. This is in Marino Church. So this is where everything in our family was in Marino Church you know we were baptised you know weddings funerals christenings all all that stuff so this is just on the on the outside of it and there they are look 1983 and for people who can't see it can you describe the (laughs) wedding picture so I always say my dad looked like Phil Linnett back then so if anyone's wondering what my dad looked like he kind of has a bit of a fro dark skin quite like a 70s buzz and his bow tie tuxedo with the ruffles I mean it's cringe but it's cute and my mum just looks so fresh faced and young and delighted with herself as dad gives her a wee little kiss on the cheek yeah and the beautiful contrast in her is that red roses in her bouquet oh, no, compared I think, to the dress I think they're carnations I don't know if they could have afforded roses back then <laughs> I think they're carnations yeah do you know what movie jumps out at me what's the one with Omar Sharif and uh, Omar Sharif is yeah. that your go-to? Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, for people of a certain age, yeah. they, they both look like the couple in Dr. Zhivago, Omar Sharif and Julie Christie. Go Google it. Um, oh, I'm going to take your word on that. That's fair <laughs> enough. To me, they just like look like my man dad. But if you think that's Omar Sharif and what's her face? Grant. <laughs> so do you identify then as Irish, Algerian, Irish, Algerian? You know, is there a mix or a combination? Yeah, there's a forward slash in there. So it's Irish slash slash Algerian. Because, um, well, I'm not going... I am half and half. I'm 50-50. I'm half my dad and half my ma. So obviously I'm not just going to cut my dad out of it. I was born in the Rotunda. You know, I haven't been out of Ireland for more than two weeks at a time. I'm probably more Irish than a lot of people. But at the same time, I'm not just going to write that out of my history or my heritage. So where does the Algerian come in? Probably in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, a lot of what we do at home, like, I don't really notice it, but say friends that are coming over going, this food's amazing. I'm like, 
it's not it's just dad's stew but dad's stew is the be all and end all of Algerian cooking and so I guess there's little pieces like that like at home that the Algerian would come into mm-hmm. and you know different times of the year so dad would be doing Ramadan so that's you know that's an upheaval in his life so that would affect everyone else's life and yeah that kind of you know just daily bits and pieces do you do Ramadan? I did Ramadan for maybe five years of my life yeah <laughs> and because you know I do Christmas so why wouldn't I do Ramadan um, and I do it not for religious reasons I do it to support me dad in a way and I do it whenever I feel like I've been really bold throughout the year and I need to detox because it's a massive detox it's a massive test of your willpower and your strength as a human being and it's a really good time to sit back and reflect upon everything that you have so the whole ethos of it is lovely it's really good it's total cleanse spiritually and through your body it's it's great so yeah I haven't done it now in a few years because I work seven days a week and Ireland does not really embrace Ramadan the way Muslim countries do. So if I was to tell people, oh, I'm sorry, I can't shoot you till 9pm tonight, I wouldn't be working for a whole month. So all was positive, Ruth? For the most part, in my life, yes, it was always a positive, interesting quirk. You know, I'm very grateful of my heritage. There is times when I've chosen to maybe disguise it in the ways, you know, so my surname is very foreign sounding and it was even foreign sounding, you know, back then. And when I decided to launch myself as self-employed as a business, so I was still in college, I was only in my early 20s and I came up with Ruthless Imagery, which is my brand name. And that was for two reasons. One of them was to disguise my gender and the other was to disguise my surname. There's a lot in that bombshell there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, it was really difficult because if you're getting hired for a job back then, some people were, you know, there could be three or four people pitching for a job and they had this kind of feeling that, oh, we won't take the chance, we'll go with the Irish person. So I was like, right, let's just eliminate all that, let my work speak for itself. I'm ruthless, that's it. Both my parents are from Ireland. I'm a Dunahoo. In my work, I have never had to think about even disguising my surname mm. because of what people might think or judge or not give me a gig as a result. Yeah. That must hurt a little bit. It's just a fact of life. I can't, you can't really let it hurt you. Nowadays, I don't. Like, my, my work speaks for itself. And I have a name for myself in a positive way. So now I'm shouting it from the rooftops. I'm a girl and I take photos and this is me. So starting out in your career path, you disguised your name. Mm. When you say your name, which is? Ruth Medjber. When you say Medjber, mm. do they ask a load of questions then? How can you be Irish? Where are you from? Da, da, da. Mm. Does, it all, does it ever end? Is oh, what I'm saying. It's relentless. So you give your name, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. And then they get a little pause and you see it on their face. It's the question's creeping over their face and they go, and where's that from then? And then you're just... You and go, what do you say? So here I am. Where's that from, Ruth? So dad's Algerian. Yeah. It's an Algerian surname. That's it. And then the questions... Oh, some of the questions after that get ridiculous. Because, you know, like. I, some people's instant question after that is like, oh, right, and did you ever get to meet your dad? As if... He came over here, knocked up my mum and legged it like. That's their first thing that they think of. And I'm like, yeah, I get to meet him every day. He's at home cooking dinner at the moment. Like, And have you ever been to Algeria, Ruth? 
I pestered my dad for years since the age of 12. Can I go to Algeria? Can, I, can you bring me over? Can we go? I want to meet everyone. Can I go to Algeria? And it was like, it's a, a little bit dangerous, you know, political, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he finally buckled and brought me over when I was 19. So we all went over in a little family holiday and it was great crack. I met loads of people. I don't, there's not a lot of kids in my life. We don't have nieces or nephews or anything, but whoa, there's a lot of kids over there in Algeria. They all just swarm around you, all hugs and kisses, and it can be very overwhelming. But I went over and um, I think that was enough for me, just the once. Um, and since then, I've come back, finished my degree, gotten myself a little bit established as a photographer, and now I'm preparing to go again, but for a far more in-depth trip. It's taken me a while to kind of get myself in the mind frame that this is what I want to do. It'll be a big, it'll be a big documentary for me. Mm. I'm wondering when you went there and the fact you're thinking of going there again, is there a pull to come home mm. to some extent? For me? Mm. I think there's maybe that pull there because uh, the first time I went over, I saw people, for the first time in my life, I saw people and I went... She looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never seen that, you know what I mean? A little bit sallow skin, big nose, dark hair. And I was like, oh, she looks, that, that person looks like me. And these are randomers on the street. And I was delighted. So I think there's that little bit of me that would like to see myself more in people. Because, you know, the, the typical Irish looking person doesn't necessarily look like me. So it'd be nice, you know. And um, maybe there is a bit of a pull. Like all the Americans coming back to Ireland to suss out their heritage. I'm <laughs> going over to Africa to do mine. <laughs> And finally, as the child of a global, say, love affair and marriage, what would you like us to consider? Oh, I don't think I've ever thought of my parents of having a global love affair. Um, I think everyone just has to consider that this is the reality of the world these days, that, um, you know, the world has gotten a lot smaller thanks to air travel and everything. So it's going to happen. And you just um, just embrace other people and their own cultures and... Um, be inquisitive, but be mindful that sometimes what you can, what you say can be a little bit offensive. Um, don't ask, no, but where are you really from? That's the question that gets me a lot. Anytime I come back from holidays and I have a bit of a tan, people are like, where are you from? Marino. Yeah, but where are you really from? That question. That gets me every time. So maybe just chill on that question for some people. <laughs> That's all for this edition of Like Family. Thank you to all the families who took part in the programme and thank you for listening. This programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. For more information, check out rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family.